Then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. I'm sure many of us have heard possibly homilies about this, or people just talking about it in general and referencing how this simple pericope of the scriptures, this simple saying of Jesus, means that we have to pay our taxes, means that we have to sign up for selective services, means that we have to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance, and it means that we can't litter. And all these things are absolutely true. To be good citizens in this country and to be a dutiful Christian, we have to pay our taxes, sign up for selective services, not litter, whatever. But I don't think that's really what Jesus was after whenever he said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Render unto God what is God. I doubt Jesus necessarily had our W-2s and our income taxes in mind. But what I think the Lord was getting at was to focus not so much on the render unto Caesar's part, but to give back to God what belongs to God. And I think if we ask ourselves, what is it that exactly does belong to God? And what is it that are we supposed to give back to him? How do we put this passage in action? In order to do that, in order to figure out those answers, figure out those questions, all we need to go back, all we need to do is go back and look at the question he asks the Herodians and the Pharisees whenever they hand him the Roman coin. Whose image is this? And whose inscription? My friends, a coin has the inscription of Caesar. Which means that coins are minted and basically more or less belong in a property of the Roman Empire. But what is the property of God? And I suggest there are two things that bear the image of God. The first thing is all of humanity. My friends, after God finished creating the entire world, he created man. And he said, you are very good. You're made in my image and my likeness. And few people in this world were more aware of this groundbreaking truth than the man whose feast we celebrate today. That man is John Paul II, also known as John Paul the Great. What John Paul the Great was aware of was that man did not belong to Caesar. No, man belongs to God. And we can see this very clearly in the way John Paul II locked horns with Miguel Gorbachev in the Soviet Union in 1979. John Paul II grew up in communist Poland, a land where they did not allow Catholicism, a land where the government believed that the people were fundamentally useless unless they were serving their own communistic needs. A land that truly and honestly believed that all of humanity, all of the Soviet Empire, belonged to Caesar. And that God was not a part of the picture. It came from the philosophy that religion was nothing more than the opium of the people. And ironically, it was this very opium that destroyed this entire empire the Soviet Union. And the strike came whenever John Paul II visited Poland in 1979, June 2nd. Whenever John Paul II visited Poland, 
It was under the agreement that very little of his visit would be televised. Because the Soviet Union was aware that if they televised the visit of the Pope in a country that he was from, and a country that was majority devout Catholics, they would be in deep trouble. So they televised very little of it. And they let him stay for a long period of time, nine days. Well, as he stayed, the crowds and crowds around him grew. Because even though they only televised a little bit of it, what they realized, or people began to realize, that, hey, the Pope is in town, and so they began to come out and see him. And on June 10th, 1979, John Paul II said Mass outdoors in the presence of three million people. Three million people. And he gave a homily addressing the Polish people. And he asked them, are you ready to be a witness of Christ's cross and his resurrection? Are you ready to accept such an obligation to live as martyrs for the church? And once he finished that question, a chant broke out amongst the crowd of three million people. We want God. We want God. We want God. The chant started, it lasted a minute, then two minutes, then three, then four, then five. And at that moment, the, the MC of John Paul II came up to him and said, hey, man, maybe we should like shut these guys up so we can kind of move on with the mass. And he said, no, let's let them go. My friends, five minutes became six. Six minutes became seven. And that chant lasted for 14 minutes. Three million people crying out of the top of their lungs. We want God. George Weigel said that that sermon that John Paul II there gave was his most influential sermon that he ever gave. And that sermon was responsible for bringing down the Soviet Union, which occupied Poland, 10 years later. Because that started the Catholic movement where the Catholics of Poland rebelled peacefully against the Soviet Empire, bringing them down to the ground. But what I find so fascinating about that chant was it surrounded the very thing that belongs to God the most. The second thing that truly has his name on it. My friends, the chant of the Polish people that were crying out, we want God, we want God, happened in the context of mass. Mass. And the reason why I bring this up is because in the context of mass, we see what truly and fully and wholly belongs to God. Because in the context of Mass, we witness Jesus made present in the Holy Eucharist. My friends, you and I might be made in the image of God, but you and I are capable and very, so much more than capable of sinning. But Jesus is incapable. Jesus is made in the perfect image of the Father. And it's through Jesus that we know the name of God. It's through Jesus we know the face of God. And through Jesus' Eucharistic presence that we know the taste of God. And it's through Jesus in the Holy Eucharist that this glorious verse 
to render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. It's under this Eucharistic presence that this verse is fulfilled. Because my friends, only in Jesus are we able to give unto God what really belongs to him. Because in the holy sacrifice of the mass, we don't just consecrate bread to consume him as a meal. Certainly, the mass is a recollection of the Last Supper. But we call it the holy sacrifice of the mass because we offered the unblemished body of Christ back to the Father so that we might reap the graces that God earned for us on that cross. My friends, in the holy sacrifice of the mass, we offer God God. We literally give God, God, in exchange for our sins. And we can see this very clearly in the words of the first Eucharistic prayer, which says, we, your servants, meaning your priests, and your holy people, which means all of you, offer to your glorious majesty from the gifts you have given us. This pure victim, this holy victim, this spotless victim, the holy bread of eternal life, and the chalice of everlasting salvation. That is the mass, my friends. And that is what you and I get to participate in every Sunday and possibly, if we want to, every day. That's the very thing that the Poles were crying out for when they were chanting for 14 minutes, three, three million people, we want God. We want God. What will it take for you and I to thirst for God the way the Polish people did? What will it take for you and I to look at the Eucharist and see that that is our only hope for salvation? That only in the Eucharist will we ever be able to fill this challenging verse to give unto God what belongs to God. What will it take for you and I to fully see the gift of mass. My challenge to you, in order for us to grow deeper and deeper into appreciation for what happens to the holy sacrifice of the mass, is to come more frequently. I think it's a grave mistake if we think that we can just go to mass every Sunday and expect to make it out okay. Sure, you can go to mass every Sunday and make it to heaven. I'm not saying that's not possible. Sure, many people do it. But the fact of the matter is, is that's the lowest part of the bar. If you set the bar a little bit higher, then at least you'll, and if, even if you don't clear it, at least you'll clear the very bottom rung of the bar and make it in. So my challenge is don't just, if you can do it, if you can make it, don't just go to mass once a week, but go to mass a couple days a week, two, three, one even if you can, day a week during the weekdays. Mass during the weekday is not like Mass at Sunday. It's not as long. I won't preach for, right now we're at 11 minutes and 30 seconds. I won't preach for that long during a weekday. Be a lot shorter. We generally have weekday Mass that lasts about 22 minutes. And a lot of people, from my own experience, have told me that actually going to weekday Mass enkindles their appreciation for Sunday Mass. Because it's a little, a little bit quieter, there's a little bit more space in the pews, and ultimately it's just a little bit more intimate. So my challenge to you on this feast day of Pope John Paul the Great is to consider 
going to weekday mass so that you might be able to offer to God what truly belongs to God.